Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. So was Jesus really the Son of God? We're looking at the book of Hebrews, Colin, and really trying to understand what this ancient letter has to say to us today. We're looking at the profile of Jesus as written by the author to the Jewish people of the day. We're in, I think, about verse 6 now. Well, we're, we're just going to start actually in the middle of verse 5 because uh, I want to pick up on what we were saying yesterday about the relationship between the Father and the Son. Um, the essence of the whole Christian faith is built around the, the knowledge, the knowing of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as being divine, as being God, that we know God is, is uh, three persons, yet one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we see this relationship between the Father in heaven and the Son on earth. And, of course, Jesus said the Father and the Son are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There was that complete identification between the two. And yet at the same time, Jesus also said the Father is greater than I because Jesus in the days of his humanity had to accept the limitations of humanity. Uh, this great, almighty, omnipotent, omnipresent God is now being expressed in the life of a human being. So God the Father still exists in heaven and and eternally everywhere, yet there is this embodiment of God in his Son, God in human flesh. And so he says, I will be his Father, he will be my Son. Now, that's important because we were seeing earlier in the week that the God is love and therefore all his purposes are to be fulfilled in love. His uh, purpose for humanity, for human beings, is that they know his love and respond to that love by loving him and by loving one another. So the whole of the Christian life is built upon relationship. But you see, it's relationship with God now. It's not looking forward to a relationship in the future. What will be possible beyond this life? Of course, our relationship with God will be even greater uh, in heaven than we're able to experience now. But you see, the whole essence of the Christian gospel is that we can know God as our Father now, and we can share fully in the life of Jesus Christ because of all that he has accomplished for us. And this is what will be explained in the subsequent uh, chapters of Hebrews. But I'm spending a lot of time on these opening verses because they give us an overview of the whole argument of, of the epistle. And we are then going to go into more and more detail about each of these essential elements. And here in these next verses, the, um, the writer to Hebrews is addressing uh, the, the, the truth that, of course, in his humanity, Jesus had to be less than the heavenly beings, but in reality, he is greater. And now that he has returned to heaven, he is seen to be greater than all the angelic beings that were created. So in verse 6, 
Uh, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And we can imagine, well, we know that angels were ministering to Jesus at various points throughout his his uh, ministry on earth because the scripture tells us that. But now that, of course, he has returned triumphant to heaven, having accomplished all that the Father sent him to do, the angels are worshiping him. And in speaking of the angels, he says in verse 7, he makes his angels winds, his, his servants flames of fire. Um, the angels are simply spiritual beings that are called to serve, to minister, uh, according to God's purposes. Whereas the Son, although he came as a servant, made a little lower than the angels for the days of his humanity, is now restored to glory. He is a son. He's not a just a servant. So he's much greater than all the angels, uh, which is why, of course, the angels worship him. And then it says in verse 8, now this is a key verse. It, it, it really is wonderful, wonderful truth. Uh, but about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Now, that's interesting, you see, because the book of Revelation shows that Jesus is now using this sort of picturesque language, seated at the right hand of the Father. It also speaks about him being the Lamb of God in the midst of the throne, looking as if he has been slain, yet standing right there in the midst of the throne. So, you know, the throne of God is not just a chair or something like that. This is where the, the, the divine presence of God, where the perfect rule and reign of God uh, is, is expressed. And um, you see, about the Son, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. In other words, God is calling his own Son God. Uh, he is acknowledging him as God. He is saying, your throne will last forever and ever. Your kingdom is an eternal kingdom, as was revealed through, through Daniel. Uh, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. Now, scepter is the sign of authority. It's the symbol of authority. And uh, uh, so the, the authority of, of uh, God's kingdom, of Jesus' kingdom, is righteousness. This is, this is what is going to give um, Christians today the, the authority to actually live the life of the kingdom here on earth because this is what, this is what uh, Jesus taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're called to, to live the life of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus said, and everything else shall be added to you. So we are called to walk in righteousness because that righteousness enables us to exercise the authority of God's kingdom. But of course, when Jesus was on earth, he expressed that righteousness perfectly. He did everything that was good and right in the Son of God, in the sight of God, so he was able to exercise the authority of God perfectly. And therefore, we see him overcoming the enemy, overcoming all the demonic powers on the cross. We see him overcoming sickness. We see him overcoming even death when he raised Lazarus from the dead, for example. We see him overcoming the demonic powers that were afflicting people. Why? Because he lived in perfect righteousness so he could exercise perfect authority. Do you think we sometimes have difficulty understanding this, the true nature of, of God and of Jesus because we are just so steeped in our humanity? We just can't grasp this. I, I think, you know, we, we get... 
so caught up with our own problems and thoughts and ideas that we don't think things through at the level at which I'm speaking this week. I, I'm sort of speaking even at a different level than I do normally in these programs, a different level of revelation. Because I think, you know, it says in the book of Proverbs, get understanding, even if it costs everything you have, get understanding. Why? Because we need to understand what God has accomplished for us in Jesus. We can't believe it if we don't understand it. So we need to understand the victory that is ours now because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And we have this wonderful, wonderful verse, eight, uh, verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. I, you know, Jesus was the happiest. He was the most joyful person ever to have walked on the face of the earth. Why? Because there was no sin. Why? Because he walked in perfect righteousness. Why? Because he was not, not just that he was God, but he wanted to fulfill the purpose and the will for which the Father sent him. You see, if he'd sinned just once, he would have repeated what happened with Adam. Adam was created in, in perfection, Adam and Eve. But they misused their free will. They chose to serve Satan. They chose to disobey what God had said. They chose to please themselves. They chose independence rather than submission to the will and authority of God. Therefore, they became unrighteous. Therefore, they were excluded from the authority that they had when they were first created and the great inheritance in, in, in paradise. That's what the story of Adam and Eve is all about. But Jesus came to undo all that negativity and to restore us to the place where now we could walk in righteousness. Well, first of all, we had to be made righteous in God's sight, all our sins forgiven, made acceptable through what Jesus Christ had done for us. And we're going to explain that, or we'll have it explained for us in the subsequent chapters of Hebrews. So keep listening <laughs> day by day for the next few weeks, and, and all this will unfold, you, uh, unfold before you in a simply wonderful, wonderful panorama of truth. But you see, Jesus never sinned because he didn't want to. He loved righteousness. He, he knew the perfection of heaven, and he would not allow anything that was imperfect, anything ungodly, anything unrighteous, anything unholy to afflict his life. Not only because he, he didn't want that, but because it was essential for our salvation. If we were going to be forgiven for all our sins, then a perfect sacrifice had to be made on our behalf. A sinner cannot atone for, for the sins of, of sinners. It had to be a sinless offering that would make it possible for the sin of sinners to be forgiven. It had to be a totally acceptable person in God's sight to become the savior of all those who are unacceptable in God's sight because of their sin. And we'll have this explained for us more and more. But I, I just... I, I see this wonderful, wonderful truth of how joyful Jesus was, how happy he was, because he never sinned. And the biggest deception in the world today is that sin will make you happy, that if you do what you want, that will fulfill you. It just takes you into a deeper and deeper bondage. The only way of really being happy, fulfilled, and free is to do the will of God in your life. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 